Welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today is August 24th. Our special guest is George Ryder Jr. George talks about his love of sailing, how he ended up in Santa Barbara, California, as well as his role in developing some of the programs at Santa Barbara's very popular Maritime Museum. Here's George. Um, Tell us about your beginnings with the Maritime Museum and maybe a little bit um, of what brought you to Santa Barbara, California. Well, to start out with, uh, I was a builder in Colorado for 45 years. And in 1970, I started working with a Santa Barbara architect by then Barry Burkus. And uh, so I started coming out here about once a year. And I thought, boy, if there's ever a way to figure out a way to move to Santa Barbara, even if it's when I retire, that would be Terrific. So. George is well known in the home building business in Colorado and operated the Ryder Corporation for over 40 years. In 2003, George and his wife Judy Ryder moved out to Santa Barbara. It was his architect, Barry Burkus, who introduced George to the Maritime Museum. Here's a fun story. The Maritime Museum, it was really interesting. He invited Judy and I, my wife and I, to an event at the Maritime Museum. Of course, we'd never heard of it, never been down there. We get to this big event, lots of people, probably 200 people there, fancy reception, and I'm there for about five minutes. The lights go out. (laughs) And Barry Burkus grabs a microphone and says, well, this is no problem, everybody. My friend George Ryder from Denver his grandfather was involved in the Honda tragedy, and he'll tell you the story. And, you know, fortunately, I had just refreshed myself with the book, Tragedy to Honda, and it was quite a, uh, quite, it was the largest peacetime tragedy in the history of the United States Navy. And uh, so I told the story, and... Uh, that was kind of the beginning of my introduction. The lights went back on about the time I finished the story. And then shortly thereafter, I was invited to join the board, and I was on the board, I guess, starting in 2004, and I'm still there. So, The Santa Barbara Maritime Museum was founded in 2001, and with George being there since 2004, he's seen a lot of growth over the years. My first visit to the place was, you know, had about three exhibits and you know, it was empty. It was a beautiful space. And now we have, you know, probably 40 or 50 exhibits. We rotate seven new exhibits in every year. It's a very exciting place. It's, it's rated by all, one of the top five venues for to visit when you come to Santa Barbara. And it's also ranked in the top 10 maritime museums in the United States. So it's really come a long ways, and it's been a lot of fun to be a part of it. Even though George is a native of Colorado and spent most of his earlier years there, he always had a love of California and a unique family history there. His great-grandfather was in the U.S. Navy, which we'll get into later. But for starters, we'll let George tell you how he developed his love of sailing. Started sailing with small boats and started really sailing with uh, racing a small boat with my wife. And, and then shortly after, my son, who at the time was 10 years old, so we kind of learned together. And we sailed 
small boats in Colorado. We then we spent a year in in Switzerland. We sailed a small boat there as well as a, finally got a J twenty four, which seemed like an ocean liner to us. And in uh, the summer of nineteen seventy nine, in England, sailed in the English Channel, and uh, that was a twenty four foot boat, which you know by today's standards is pretty small, but it seemed huge to us. And and we sailed as a family, and my son Jeff and I sailed. I think we were there 69 of the 71 days we were in Europe. We were in England. And then later on, we started racing, came back to Colorado, started racing J24s. And I sailed with, with Jeff as well as my daughter Katie, uh, who was a four deck on the boat after she went to. You know, a couple of schools have got really, you know, expert at that job. And uh, so did a lot of racing in J24s. And then I, I bought a, a boat in San Diego with a couple of friends. And we sailed out there and did some short ocean races, 100-mile races and stuff. And then later, I, I with my friend, the architect, Barry Burkus, we bought a uh, with two other guys, we bought a Nelson Barrick 68 and we raced that up and down the coast of California and Mexico and uh, Cabo, St. Lucas, Manzanillo, Puerto Vallarta, La Paz, you name it. You know, we did all those races many times. One of the longer ocean races under his belt was the Trans-Pacific, otherwise known as the Trans-Pac. They did that race together in 1983 and 1985. In 1983, we were leading the race by 50 miles. After a day and a half, we broke our rudder in half. So had to turn around and come back. But then we went back and successfully completed that race in 1985. So did a lot of ocean racing. And then that was maybe even a large attraction then. Then the relationship with Barry uh, to move to Santa Barbara, ha- have a boat, and we have, have a family boat. We have a boat called a J120, and it's a 40-foot sloop, and we sail that, you know, weekly. We've done a lot of racing with that. I don't race it that much anymore because I'm getting a little older, but uh, it's still it's a big part of my life. Another unique connection George has with the Pacific Coast is that his grandfather was an admiral in the U.S. Navy. His name was Admiral Bratton. George tells more. My uh, grandfather, my mother's father, was a destroyer skipper in 1923. They were called the Greyhounds Pacific. They were the you know, before aircraft carriers, before submarines. So that was the elite branch of the Navy. And they were uh, a part of a squadron that was going from San Francisco to San Diego on a speed run. And uh, they were in the 4th Division. There were 16 destroyers. And they were going 20 knots at a fog, which is very, very fast. And uh, uh, anyway, they get down. And they didn't have the modern 
navigation equipment that we have now, like satellites, and, and we had just dead reckoning and, and radar beams, and they came down and we're going to go into the Santa Barbara Channel, and the Santa Barbara Channel is buffered by four islands, Santa Cruz, Santa Rosa, Santa Barbara, uh, and uh, uh, I guess uh, trying, trying to think of the, of the fourth one, the Anacapa. And so they were going to dive in. They gave the squadron commander in the lead, gave the order to dive in nine miles too early, and they ran aground, make a long story short. And actually, seven destroyers went on the rocks, and the division that my grandfather was in, they were suspect about that course anyway, and they peeled off to the, out to sea, and, and of course, were not involved, but they went back in and were heavily involved in the rescue of the sailors. And it's remarkable that, and that over a thousand men were involved, and I don't know how many hundreds of men were in the water, and they only lost 23 sailors, but it was the largest loss in the history of peacetime U.S. Navy. And so shortly thereafter, they had a, they wanted to convene a board of inquiry. Well, turned out my grandfather was a lawyer as well as a naval officer. And so he was appointed the judge advocate for the first for the prosecutor for the board of inquiry. And they did that. And they had a court martial and he was the judge advocate for the court martial. Only a couple of years later, at age 37, Admiral Bratton was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Thus, he and his family moved to Denver, Colorado. While he had a second career as a lawyer, he had always a special place in his heart for the Navy. George explains. December 7th, 1941, he's going down the steps of the... My grandma said, you wouldn't dare. He said, only if I could pass the physical. Well, they took him in and uh, he went back and he was in the judge advocate corps, the legal corps of the Navy and uh, became assistant judge advocate general of the Navy and then the judge advocate general of the Navy during World War II. So. It, it's really so fascinating to see that role that he played in, in how difficult that would be. Now, the book that you described, can you tell us the book? About the Honda tragedy, it's the Honda yeah, tragedy. The book is the tragedy of Honda. The author, I think, is Lockwood, who was an admiral, and the book was written by two admirals and one general. And it's a very, it's a very interesting book, and uh, it describes it in great detail. And uh, it was not widely advertised because the Navy didn't want, you know, to make a big thing about that accident because, you know, I mean, they certainly, you know, should have known better. It's it's quite a, um incredible honor to know, you know, of Admiral Bratton's role that he played in that disaster and, and also his amazing life. and And how neat to have his grandson play 
um, a role in bringing that story to uh, people's awareness in the Maritime Museum. Um, that exhibit is really neat on the on the base floor. And another really fascinating feature that I'd like to go into is about the lighthouse that has been brought in. What an incredible story. Can you tell us how how that hall came about and what you right. that was? The lighthouse, uh, you know, that was the method for inshore na- navigation, you know, back before they had, you know, those exotic electronics and before even radar. So the lighthouses uh, with these beacons and all this glass uh, were placed on prominent, you know, danger points throughout, really throughout the world. And uh, Point Conception, this was the Point Conception Lighthouse. Point Conception is considered, it's just, a, it's about 40 miles north of Santa Barbara and it sticks out. It's the outermost point of the west coast of both California and Mexico. And uh, it's called the Cape Horn of the Pacific. It's very, very, it's amazing. It can be perfectly calm in Santa Barbara blowing 40 knots up at Point Conception and they have, you know, where the two currents uh, merge together and uh, it's, uh, you get that wind against that current and it's usually a pretty dangerous place. So sailing from Santa Barbara to San Diego is breeze. Sailing from Santa Barbara to San Francisco is an ordeal, but uh, very often they are turned back. George also led an effort in order to acquire a lighthouse lens that was uh, from the Point Conception area, a very significant spot. And the lens was out of public's eye, and he thought, what a great idea to bring it to the Maritime Museum. George has more. It was a first order Fresnel, F-E-R-S-N-A-L lens, finest lighthouse designer built in France. And it's these hundreds of glass, clear glass prisms that were put together to reflect the light out to sea. The size of the lens is about 12 feet high, 10 feet in diameter, and projects 25 miles out into sea to give warning of point conception. George says, So it gave you ample warning, you know, to stay away from point conception. There were lighthouse keepers that lived adjacent to the lighthouse that uh, kept the lighthouse going, and that was their life. And one of our directors, Roger Christman, his grandfather was a lighthouse keeper. (laughs) And he, he was very generous, and we bought, Actually, we didn't buy it. We got it on a loan from the city of Goliath. I think we have it on loan for something like 50 years. So they took the lens apart, and that turned into 150 individual pieces that they transported to the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum in the process of cleaning them, and they put it back together inside the museum. Easier said than done. These each individual pieces were about three foot by four foot, and they had to be taken up 125 steps to road level before they could transport them out of there. What a feat. Then we had 
a lighthouse cleaner, and there were only about five left in the world. They were from Europe, and they came and they cleaned each piece of glass there in the museum and then reassembled it. And it is our flagship exhibit. It's the first thing you see when you come around the corner of the entrance into the museum. It's a very, very spectacular exhibit. And people come from all over the world to see it. Boy, that's really neat. You know, the uh, I've been in that building several times, and uh, I know that I've seen the building before the lens, and then seeing it after the lens being there, it looks like it just belongs there. And, and from something... It does, yeah. Yeah. When you are down at the Maritime Museum, what... Um, what do you enjoy the most now that you've put so much of yourself into that project? And, and uh, what, what's, what kind of is something that you enjoy the most when you go down there? Oh, I love, I'm like a kid when I go down there. I like to go and look at all the exhibits and, uh, you know, I kind of know where to go because the museum's small. It's only about 9,000 square feet. And we have two stories. We have a, actually, we have a suspended ship on the second floor of the, the hull is down on the first floor. And inside that ship with the entrance on the second floor is the Munger Theater. And we have a theater within the museum in the hull of that fabricated ship. And, and we've had some really wonderful exhibits in that theater. We have lectures, we see, I think, about a hundred. And we have lectures every, uh, I think it's every fourth Thursday of every month. And we have remarkable speakers that come in and we just pack, we used to, you know, now you have to reserve space because we just and we have CD down below as well. We get 250, 300 people packed in the museum for these lectures, and they're fabulous. While a lot of the attractions are visual at the museum, there's a virtual fishing setup that enables kids and adults to cast out a fishing line and make their attempts to catch fish. <laughs> it's quite entertaining. I guess it's pretty hard to maintain, but uh, George says that they've been able to figure that out, and people get a big kick out of it. Well, it's virtual fishing, and, you know, it's a fairly small exhibit, and I think that over the years, it's been the most popular exhibit that we've had. You go, you sit down in this captain's chair, pretend you're on Ernest Hemingway's yacht, so you can dial in if you want to fish for a marlin or, you know, a swordfish or whatever. It's a blast, and it's... You don't catch a fish very often. I would say that probably the, they catch a fish, you know, maybe one time out of eight, they actually land it. Everybody gets a strike. They get in the strike and be able to bring it in and land it is another story. And it's just, you know, the kids just love it. While George may have been more interested in fishing in his younger years, at 86, he likes to get out on his sailboat when he has free times and has a sailing group he goes out with every Thursday. I go sailing every Thursday. I've got some friends that I go with, the same three guys I've been going with for since about 2002. Actually, we go to lunch at the Yacht Club 
they used to take me to lunch, and then we go sailing on my boat. We have a great time. We get out of there about 12.30, have lunch. We're on the boat at 1.30, and we go out and sail around for a couple hours, and we're done by 4. So, he, I mean, talk about, you know, living in a wonderful Santa Barbara. <laughs> that's, that's pretty exciting. That's so great. Well, you know, um, I'm lucky enough to be your daughter and be on that boat with you, and we just recently got to be out in the harbor and watch your grandkids out at one of the sailing camps. There's so many great things going on in that. It's got to be the most compact, um, enriching little spot. Uh, just no wonder it's one of uh, visitors' favorite places to go. One of the key ingredients to staying healthy at 86 for George Ryder has been a nurturing family, including his wife, Judy, and his involvement in the community, his passion for helping others, in addition to getting out and sailing weekly. Even at 80, our family did a little trip together where I was lucky enough to be a passenger, and it was fun to see him at the helm in high winds and some developing seas. But, uh, that trip we went over, we got into some pretty good wind, probably 25 knots of wind, and five, six foot of seas, and we all had a good time. And <laughs> Yeah. One of my memories about that was uh, just looking out at you behind the helm. And, and I, you know, I'm an adventurous person, but I was definitely uh, um, <laughs> feeling nervous because that's not my element, you know. And I remember looking at you just so confident behind the helm and just thinking, well, got dad at the helm. Everything's going to be OK. <laughs> yeah, that was really a, a special time. And, and uh, that, was that was so fun. privilege to hear these stories firsthand from you, Dad, and, and you're a great uh, community person. You've been a great role model to me and our whole family on, on the importance of giving back to your community. And uh, you've really demonstrated that, you know, the more that you give back, I think that you get to have the, the benefits of, of your um, efforts in, in the Maritime Museum is a perfect example of that. Well, that's very nice of you to say. It's been a Pleasure, for sure. Well, that about wraps up the interview with George Ryder Jr. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have more questions about the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, you can go to their website at sbmm.org. Thank you for listening, and I'm Katie Ryder. That night, I remember when we were in that harbor and, and the swell switched, and I can say that I... I just slept horribly, and I don't know how people can do these ocean crossings. And I just remember the cups going back and forth, making clang, 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 clang all night long, thinking like, oh my God, are we going to stay one more night, or can we just split? And we woke up and looked at you, and your hair was kind of like this, sticking up, and you obviously didn't look like you'd had the best night rest, and we were, I think we were low on fresh water, and, and I remember looking at each other, and I was so glad when you did the old finger, we're out of here. <laughs> we were safe that night because we, we had a good anchor up the bow and we had another anchor up the stern. So we weren't going anywhere. We were going to swing into another boat. And we went during the week, so there weren't a lot of other boats out there too, which was great. But on the weekends, it gets really crowded up there. You know, then you got to worry a little more.
over my path. That, that was a lot of fun. That sure Hope was. Hope to do it with you again, Katie. We should do that, Dad. And we'll do it again. Let's sure, do it yeah. again. Let's, you know, I need a little more practice. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes and interviews, go to katiewritergallery.com for more episodes and also aerial photography of Alaska. That's katiewritergallery.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is Katie Writer.